Tapping the Keg Daily is live for Tuesday. It is November 21st. We're going to talk about the Green Bay Packers playoff push not being a pipe dream. Giannis Antetokounmpo going into God mode and grading the Marquette Golden Eagles against the UCLA Bruins. What a win for Marquette. If you stayed up for it, uh, you're probably struggling this morning just like I am. That's okay. Uh, it was worth it. The vibes alone right now, you have to be just feeling good and fired up for the Kansas game tonight, which we might touch on as well uh, at the back half of this podcast. Before we get going, just a reminder to follow us along on social media, tapping the keg on Twitter. Another great uh, night of response and interaction with the Morcat community. Uh, if you are following us because of that, I will tell you what we do on a day-to-day basis with this podcast. Uh, also on Instagram, Tabby the Keg Sports, Instagram or uh, TikTok, excuse me, Tabby the Keg Sports as well, and Facebook under that same handle. Uh, if you are new to the podcast, if you checked us out because of the interaction on the Twitter machine yesterday. Uh, We do a podcast four days a week, uh, one time usually with my guy Mitch. This week, because there's so much fucking going on, we're probably gonna do five days this week. Um, Yeah, it's happening. Uh, I I just think this is a week for five days and we'll probably revert back uh, at some point, but yeah, we are going full hog this weekend. Or this week, shall I say, even though it is a holiday week, doesn't matter here at Tapping the Keg LLC. Might might have some short shows, but yeah, we usually four days a week. We talk all about Wisconsin sports. So if you're a Marquette fan, but you hate everything else about Wisconsin, well, we timestamp it. That's the best I can tell you. Uh, but we are here for you. We're on Apple, we're on Spotify, we're wherever else you get your podcasts. If you guys are already subscribed, you know what to do. Word of mouth. We really appreciate it. It's holiday season. Tell people about the Tapping the Keg Sports Podcast. Speak the good gospel of the Tapping the Keg Sports Podcast. All right, let's talk about the Green Bay Packers playoff push. I think every year when you're not that good, uh, when you're kind of an average football team, you have a conversation about the playoffs and you wonder if it's a reality or if it's a pipe dream. And if it's like, well, come on, get the fuck out of here. There's no way, there's no way that this could happen. With the Green Bay Packers, it's more of a reality than a pipe dream. The Green Bay Packers have been playing really well the last three weeks. You could argue that they should be on a three-game winning streak. They should be five and five right now, heading into this game against the Detroit Lions. But because they couldn't finish against the Pittsburgh Steelers, they are four and six. And they're playing a Lions team that is kind of I wouldn't say a fraudulent and two because they're one of the only eight win teams in, in the NFL. But the Lions have looked vulnerable the last two weeks. The Lions have given up 38, point, 38 points to the Chargers team that the Packers just held to 20. And they gave up 20, what is that, 26 points to the Chicago Bears. Uh, that's not great. Uh, that is not necessarily going to get it done in the playoffs. And that's a little bit of a red flag. And maybe the Lions will fix their defense and look good and look the part down the stretch and be ready to go once playoff season rolls around. But right now, the Lions don't look like they did when the Packers played them in in September. So they have an ample opportunity to beat this Detroit team on Thanksgiving in front of a national audience where all eyes are on them. 
the also the other point, and we're gonna preview Lions Packers probably more tomorrow. But I, I just feel like intangibly the Packers are going to want to win that game, given the fact they've lost four straight to the Detroit Lions. The Detroit Lions have bullied them around, and it's time for the Packers to reestablish their dominance. Now maybe Dan Campbell just owns Matt Lafleur, and he puts Matt Lafleur in a blender. And that's just a coaching disadvantage, and it's never going to work. But we'll talk about that on Friday if the Packers do, in fact, get pushed around by the Detroit Lions yet again. So the door is open for the Packers to be 5-6. and six. Now they do play the Kansas City Chiefs the week after on Sunday night at home in Lambeau. But even if the Packers are 4-7, and seven, or 4-8, and eight, excuse me, they still have a weird opportunity to win out. The Packers schedule gets incredibly easy after these two games. These two games are the ones that you need to clear. The ones that you hope maybe you can get one and one. Because after that, you head to New York and either Tommy DeVito or Tyrod Taylor. You play at home against Tampa Bay, which is a glorified playoff game. Carolina, who is still trying to fight and trying to get at least not be a team that has egg on their face and gives away a first round pick. I I do worry that Carolina is going to come in there with hot piss, try to win as many games possible. We never play well in Charlotte. Uh, It's Christmas Eve. I think that's another factor, weirdly. And then they play Minnesota on the road and then home against Chicago. And that's how you end your year. Yes, that Minnesota game will be tough, but it could be for a playoff spot. And the door is open for the Green Bay Packers, even if they're four and eight. And we should not be railing on, well, okay, season's over, we should pack it in. Because there are winnable games on the schedule. And the way that the NFL works with the 17 playoff, it keeps the door open for more teams. And this is why they have done the 17 playoff, even though more times than not, that that seventh seeded team is not very competitive. I do think in the AFC this year, which is absolutely loaded, and we would not be having this conversation about the Green Bay Packers if they were in the AFC, I think that you're actually gonna have a pretty good seven seed. I think this is a year of why you have that seven seed for competitive reasons, because there are that many good teams in the AFC. The NFC is not that way. So the door is open for the Packers, even even with the Detroit game. and, And like, look, I mean, is Kansas City like a bona fide loss? Like, should we really check that game off as a loss? Now, I'm not saying the Packers are going to win both games, right? Like, I'm not saying that at all. That would be absolutely incredible. And then everybody's talking about the Green Bay Packers after December 3rd. Like, they are the headline of the NFL that everybody was wrong about this Packers team, that they're all of a sudden now six and six with this very easy schedule and maybe even breathing down the lion's neck for the division. I'm not saying that that's gonna happen. That is absolute fantasy world. That's, you know, you, you know, I, I was gonna yeah, describe fantasy, decided against it, uh, credit to me. That's, that's what you get when you get a morning podcast versus a, a late night podcast. But anyways, Kansas City is kind of vulnerable too, right? We just saw the Chiefs score 17 points against the Philadelphia Eagles. I know the Eagles, are maybe the best team in football. Like, I, I do understand that part of it. But they just look out of sorts. Mahomes does not have a wide receiver one. It's very, like, 2022 Packers a little bit. 
And I know the Chiefs are better and their defense is better than what the Packers were. But Mahomes has nobody to throw the football to. And Travis Kelsey has kind of regressed. And I think the Taylor Swift stuff is going to get really fucking loud. Because I don't know if Travis Kelsey is focused on football. And that is going to be a headline as we head into the Thanksgiving week. And then you, on top of that, you have a very good defense. But they're not really doing much with it. The Chiefs have not scored a second half point in... I think it's over a, over a month and Matt Nagy just is a complete buffoon, which we've known for a while. He's not helping Andy Reid. And the Chiefs get stalled. People figure out what the Chiefs are doing in the first half and they're able to put the clamps on. So I can't look at that game and be like, it's an automatic Chiefs win. They're heading the Lambo. You would assume it's going to be cold early December and it, it should be a good mix of Packer and Chiefs fans. I hope Packer fans don't sell their tickets to Chiefs fans, but I, you never really can trust Packer fans in those moments. So for the next two weeks, you're going to have a opportunity to go six and six, which as we said, is more of a pipe dream than probably making the playoffs. It's probably more realistic. You go four and six, and if it all works out, maybe it's five and seven, and you have a real opportunity to go 10 and seven, given the schedule that is ahead of you. And I think the other part of this that makes the playoffs seem a little more, I guess, real than the other stuff is the guys that are ahead of you in the NFC playoff race. Right now, it is the Seahawks and the Vikings. The Packers have a tiebreaker over the Rams and the Falcons, actually. Now, Falcons is interesting because, remember, the head-to-head matchup. But because Atlanta it does not have the tiebreaker against the Rams and there's records. Let's they're all four and six, as well as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Atlanta is actually behind the Green Bay Packers. So the Packers right now are the eighth team in the playoff race. And then if you look at what's ahead for the Seattle Seahawks, they play the San Francisco 49ers at home. 49ers look like they're rolling. Uh, Geno Smith, though, cannot seem to handle a big-time blitz. And the Seahawks have been a little, are more fraudulent than a lot of teams. They beat up on bad teams, and they seem to quiver against the good teams. Then they go to play Dallas, then back to play San Francisco, and then home to play Philadelphia. That is their next four weeks. That, if they're lucky, they're going to get a win out of that. But it's more likely that Seattle's going to be sitting at 6-7, and seven, heading out to the rest of the, the schedule, which is Tennessee, Pittsburgh, Arizona. Now, Tennessee and Arizona probably look like wins. But again, that Pittsburgh one, Pittsburgh's going to be battling just as much as Seattle is for a playoff spot in that moment in Week 17. So it is not a given for Seattle that they come out of there with three wins and they have a nine-win season. Then you go to Minnesota. Now, Minnesota has the Josh Dobbs experience. And while it's great, I think you saw why people are, you know, have given up on Josh Dobbs. I, I don't know if I said it on a podcast. Um, and if I did, uh, you guys have heard it. And, and that's great. And I, I would like to take credit for it. But I told Mitch that Josh Dobbs is Ryan Fitzpatrick. I was like, he's just Ryan Fitzpatrick. Like, it's just basically another version of Ryan Fitzpatrick. Like he goes to a team, he injects some life in him. He's good for a couple of weeks. And then you're like, oh yeah, this is why he's a backup. I think that's what you're going to start seeing with Josh Dobbs. Now the Vikings have a little bit of an easier schedule. They're at home against the Bears on Monday night uh, this coming week. 
Uh, Bears have looked good the last couple of weeks, but Chicago, my Minnesota has done well in that series, especially at home. So that's working in the Vikings' hair. They got a bye week in week 13. Then in week 14, they go to Vegas a little harder than it was earlier this year with Antonio Pierce. Then uh, on the road to Cincinnati, again, that's a lot easier than what it was earlier this year. Then home to play Detroit. Then Green Bay at home on Sunday night as of now on New Year's Eve. And then on the road against Detroit in week 18. Now the game might not matter for Detroit, but if Detroit is fighting for a one seed against the Philadelphia Eagles or seeding in general with the San Francisco 49ers, that game might matter to Detroit and Detroit might need to win that. So it's a little easier for the Vikings, but what's to say that we can't have three NFC North teams? If the Vikings want to join the party and we're just going to kick out Seattle, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'll allow East Dakota in the building. That's, that's fine with me. As long as Packers you know, don't have to play San Francisco in the first round and maybe we get Detroit again, I, I would take that any day of the week. So we'll just have to see. But the road is there. The road has been built and the Packers have looked good. If the Packers didn't look good in the last couple of weeks, I would probably say, yeah, this is a pipe dream. But they continue to progress. And as you're seeing this young team grow up every week and they get a little bit better. And that, and as I said yesterday, that is what you see. And that is why the playoffs is a little more of a reality than probably what anybody thought a couple weeks ago. Moving on to the Milwaukee Bucks, specifically on Santa Kumbo, but the Milwaukee Bucks beat the Washington Wizards 142 to 129 yesterday. The Milwaukee Bucks did not play with their food. Well, they did play with their food. I shouldn't say that. that was, that's wrong. They they for sure played with their food uh, in the first, what is that, three and a half, three, you know, three and a quarter part of this basketball game. And then the Bucks turned it on. The Bucks said, all right, you're the Wizards. We're not going to let this happen. But the real story from this game is Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis Antetokounmpo had 42 points. He added... 13 assists, he had it, or 13 rebounds, eight assists, but he was 20 of 23 from the field. Now, I know what the haters will say. They'll be like, it's the Wizards. It's the Wizards, and it, it doesn't matter. I will tell you, it doesn't matter who you're playing when you're 20 of 23 from the field. That is absolutely bonkers from Antetokounmpo, especially considering it's the third game in four days, and he, like he's just on another level right now and not really being talked about. Now, I don't want to get into the MVP discussion because it's the first month of the year. And if I was railing against, hey, the NFL or the NBA is not the NFL, then I'm not going to talk about the MVP because that would be what you're doing. But Giannis has got under the radar because he's playing well. And the media doesn't necessarily like to talk about Antetokounmpo when he's playing well. It's a very weird thing that they do. It's they would rather talk about Jokic. They would rather talk about Embiid. They'd rather talk about Tatum. They'd rather talk about LeBron. Because even though Giannis and Dame are extremely popular to the NBA fans, to the NBA media, we're still flyover country. 
And that's why we have a chip on our shoulder. That's why they are defensive and go to the front lines when Dan Greenberg of Arsenal Sports basically calls out Damian Lillard for tampering and every Bucks fan jumps down his throat, even though Greenberg pointed out that, hey, they were smart to do it. It just sounded like sour grapes from a fucking Celtics fan. And he is, he's no bones about it, a Celtics blogger. Like he is not just an NBA blogger. And so I think when it comes from that source, you're going to defend your team. And Antetokounmpo deserves to have a little more recognition. And what's crazy is if they beat the Celtics, and we're going to talk about that game in detail uh, on tomorrow's show, no one's going to care because it's Thanksgiving the next day. Thanks. So there's no good, there's no reaction pods. We're not going to hear from Bill Simmons. We're not going to hear from Ryan Ursella. We're not going to hear probably from Zach Lowe. Everybody's going to be eating turkey, enjoying football, and being with their family. No one's going to care about what the Bucs do, and that's a goddamn shame. Now, you could say the inverse. The Bucs get worked by the Celtics. That no, one, no one's going to talk about, but it'll probably get brought up on Friday. We're going to probably hear it. Friday, if the Bucs win, no one's going no to say shit. No one's gonna say shit. We're gonna be thinking about football. We're gonna be talking about the recapping the Thanksgiving Day games. We're gonna be talking about the games that are had on the schedule. And we're not gonna look at what the Milwaukee Bucks did in that game. The Milwaukee Bucks are playing a terrifying brand of basketball and Giannis Antetokounmpo is the catalyst of it and should be the MVP front runner if that was a conversation that we were gonna have with everybody. And we're not gonna have it. Like I said, we're not doing it. But here's what Antetokounmpo has done in the last six games. 42 points tonight, or yesterday, 13 rebounds, eight assists, 87% from the field. 40 points, 14 rebounds, seven assists, 69% from the field. 16 points, eight rebounds, nine assists, 60% from the field. Okay, so even in that game where he had 16 points, he nearly had a triple-double, right? And he probably gets a triple-double if they weren't absolutely shit-pumping the Hornets. A team that, by the way, the Boston Celtics lost to yesterday. Hate to see it. Giannis, 35 points, 11 rebounds, 2 assists, 59% from the field. 35 for Giannis, 10 rebounds, 7 assists, 68% from the field. And then 54, 12 and 3, 76% from the field. Giannis Antetokounmpo has figured out how to score from the mid-range again, score inside the paint. Giannis Antetokounmpo's two-point percentage is off the charts compared to what it was last year. Giannis Antetokounmpo, with the combination of taking the summer off with the knee injury, not playing for Greece, plus adding Damian Lillard, which opened up the floor for him, it is leading to the best version of Antetokounmpo. Oh yeah, and by the way, working with Hakeem Olajuwon, one of the best tacticians inside the paint that we have seen in the NBA. The, the Hakeem stuff is there. When you see the fadeaways, when you see some of the post moves that Giannis does, you're like, oh yeah, that's Hakeem. And if you're a younger person who has not watched Hakeem Olajuwon, Hakeem Olajuwon was a joy. One of the first guys I really remember watching in the NBA it was like Hakeem, Zavi. It was a little bit of Jordan, but like when I first started remembering basketball, it's like not, it's in that 94, 95 when Jordan was retired. So it was Hakeem, it was Shaq, it was a little bit of Patrick Ewing, Matumbo, uh, Sean Kemp. Those were guys that like I, that, those were like some of my first real like memories of NBA. And, and so Dave Robinson, another guy. Like, so if you watch what 
Hakeem or I'm sorry, what Hakeem did, and you now watch what Giannis is doing this year, you see some of that Hakeem influence. And so Antetokounmpo is just on another level than everybody else. Now, if you want to be the hater in the house, you can say, well, he's facing bad defenses during that time. Washington's one of the worst teams in terms of net rating defensively. So is Indiana. So is Dallas. And oh, by the way, they, they don't have any size to combat with Antetokounmpo. But I would point out that I don't know if there's anybody that can compete with Antetokounmpo. We'll talk about Celtics Bucks tomorrow, but Giannis has completely taken Kristaps Porzingis to the cleaner. Our team defense, can the Celtics keep up? Absolutely. But Al Horford, there have been signs where Al Horford has looked washed now. There's been other signs where Al Horford has looked like PD Al Horford, and we just need him to pee in the cup. And we need to see if Al Horford actually is on HGH or TRT. But Antetokounmpo is on another level right now. And it should be appreciated not only by Bucks fans. And if you're maybe not like into the Bucks season yet, which it's kind of hard not to be, as they're 10 and 4, really rolling, uh, winning five straight games, uh, this is the time to get it. Like, this is Wednesday night against the Celtics, a premier game, all eyes on the Bucks. Lead in is Maui, whether it's going to be the Marquette Golden Eagles or Kansas against either Purdue or Tennessee. That's going to be a massive college basketball game. Most people are going to hang on it and watch Bucks Celtics at least early on. And I, I do think that the Bucks are going to want to make a statement. The Bucks are going to want to make sure that all the talk around the Celtics, and they got bullied by the Celtics during the regular season. They did not play them in the, in the postseason. I think they want to send a message. And they're playing their best basketball, and the Celtics just simply are struggling a little bit. Like this, And this is part of the NBA. This is why the NBA is not the NFL, because teams go through stretches. And again, we're going to talk more about this game tomorrow. And so I don't want to spoil that. So I'll, I'll leave it there. I will, I will put the meat still on the bone. We're going to put that in the smoker. We'll pull that out tomorrow and start pulling it apart. But other things to note from the Bucks wizards game. First of all, like I would not want to be a Wizards fan, but the games are fun. Like it's up and down. I mean, the over-under I think was like 245, cleared it with ease. Uh, just a very fun brand of basketball to watch. Uh, as my guy Jim pointed out on Twitter uh, yesterday, it's striking, kind of jarring, how much better the Wizards are when Jordan Poole is not on, the, not on the floor. The Warriors knew Jordan Poole was a complete disaster, and they, they figured that out, and they got rid of Jordan Poole and got off of that Jordan Poole contract. And they that was a bad deal by Bob Myers. And Jordan Poole just, I don't know, at some point it'll click for Jordan Poole probably again, but he's kind of looking like this generation's J.R. Smith. Remember J.R. Smith was, it took him a while to figure it out. And then late stage J.R. Smith is an entirely different narrative than the guy he was in the middle part of his career. That's kind of what I'm seeing with Jordan Poole. Uh, Bobby Portis had a nice game, 17 points, eight rebounds. Uh, Middleton, uh, that's another guy worth talking about. Chris Middleton looked really good last night, especially in that second quarter. Uh, would really help the Bucks sort of at first pull away and then the Wizards pulled it close. Uh, and the Bucks only led by five heading into the break. But Middleton had 18 points, 
seven assists, six rebounds. Like that's a really strong night for Middleton. Six to 12 from the field. He also made seven, he got to the line seven times. So strong, strong stuff from him. Not exactly the best game night, but he still added 22 points. He still got to the line 11 times. Like you'll take that. You'll also take seven assists. That's, I mean, that's another thing. Like the Bucks are passing the basketball. Like look at this. Between Lillard, Middleton, and Giannis, the Bucks had 22 assists between those three guys. They had 66% of their overall assists. Like they are feeding the guy the basketball and people are making shots. Malik Beasley had another great game, 16 points, three made threes. Like Beasley keeps hitting big, and he hit a big shot to kind of was the dagger and talk shit to Wizards fans. I love Malik Beasley's energy. At some point, it's going to get us into trouble against the team, but he loves to talk shit. He loves the big moment. So uh, Beasley's kind of figured it out, and we were all throwing dirt on Beasley. And again, that's another guy that you should just wait on, you know, and and the Bucks have not lost since that Adrian Griffin, uh, fire Adrian Griffin column, by the way. Just just food for thought. So uh, I'm really impressed with the Bucks. I'm really impressed with Antetokounmpo. And I cannot wait for Bucks Celtics on Wednesday night. All right, wrapping up, which it's a short show. Um, not necessarily as long as we've done, but that, that's okay. Um, with a five with a five show week on deck, uh, show should be short, a little shorter. Uh, and we're going to grade the Marquette game. Uh, we did this uh, last, was that, Illinois game. Uh, and we'll, we'll probably do it for every big game. I don't know if we'll do it for like Southern or St. Thomas. Uh, maybe just like a smaller version, a truncated version of it. But we'll go from A to F and we'll talk about different parts of the game, different players. Um, overall, before we, we get into the grades, great win for Marquette. A gritty, gutty, grinded out win against UCLA. Uh, it didn't look like Marquette had it. Marquette trailed by 12 in the early part of the second half. And it just seemed like Marquette was, it, it was like, I, I had a few things like cooked up in terms of how I'd explain that Marquette loss. Number one, it was, they weren't ready for UCLA. They looked ahead. They just assumed, all right, we're going to be playing Kansas. We're thinking about Kansas already. Number two, maybe trying a little too hard in front of Dwayne Wade. I know that kind of sounds weird. I know Wade has been kind of ingratiated with the team this week. But I do think that when you see a guy like that at, on courtside, like you want to show out for him. And so I wondered if guys were trying a little bit too hard to impress Dwayne Wade or kind of nervous to like show out against Dwayne Wade. I don't know. I feel like Rodgers sometimes had that when Favre was in the building early on in Rodgers' career. It's, that seemed to subside as, as it continued on, but early on when Favre was kind of welcomed back into the Packer community, Rodgers would struggle in those games, notably that Thanksgiving night game with Bart Starr, or there was a Cowboys game where Favre was back, I think for the first time, and Rodgers played like absolute shit. So I, I just, I, I have seen it before is basically what I'm saying. But Marquette found a way to to kind of pull it out. And also Yadara started sort of that run. Marquette went on a 17-0 run and sort of woke up and UCLA gave them space and stopped hitting shots. And Marquette went on a run of their own where they completely flipped the game. At one point they were up by seven points. Now it got close. Uh, it was down to the wire. I was worried with the officiating, which was absolute trash last night. Uh, that things were going to turn in the wrong direction for Marquette. They didn't. I thought something dumb might happen at the end. It almost did. But uh, Marquette was able to get the victory thanks to a huge shot 
from Sean Jones and two shots that, that did not fall at the end for UCLA. And Marquette moves on to play Kansas and scores a, a big victory. And I think, you know, a, a lot of people came away from that game and said, look, UCLA is a lot better than I, I think people expected them to be. I mean, Mick Cronin's running the United Nations uh, group out there with all the different foreign players kind of taken from what Arizona does. With, and they look very talented. Uh, and I, I think once they play a little bit more together, all those parts are going to come together. Like, Bernke struggled. He was 0-5. He only ended up playing, what was that, 27 minutes out of the game. But he's talented. Bona's really good. Sebastian Mack, the freshman, was really solid. Like, they have a solid, solid team. I I, I really think that UCLA is a lot better than maybe people thought they were going to be. And they're going to, I don't know if they'll be in the top of the Pac-12 with Colorado and Arizona, but they're going to be right there on that second tier. Like, I do not think this is going to be a bubble team. I, I think they play too good of defense and the size that they have is really tough. Like that was very difficult for Marquette. It took them a while to adjust and find their shots. Uh, and, you know, I, I just think if you're a UCLA fan, you're coming out kind of seeing this a little bit as a moral victory. And I think for Marquette, you look at it and you say, well, that UCLA win could look a lot better, you know, as the year goes on. And now you play Kansas. And Kansas basically had an exhibition game against Chaminade. And the Kansas sort of, I, I guess if you were to say, like, they're not tired. They are not beat up. Uh, Marquette is. Now I realize AU culture, these guys have played games day in, day out. But Kansas sort of, it was a walk in the park against Chaminade where they nearly won by 30 points. Uh, they won by 26, 27, uh, winning 83 to, seven, to 83 to 56. And we'll talk about Kansas at the tail end of this, but it's what you wanted. Now you're kind of in pseudo house money. I think you still want to beat Kansas because you could be the number one team in the country if you win win out here. Uh, but if you do lose, you're going to either play Purdue or Tennessee and you get another chance to kind of build your resume against a really, really good team. And whoever comes out of that, it's going to be a war for that final game. Like both, the, all of these games are really high level college basketball and Marquette is going to take center stage. Uh, late night tonight at 9.30. Who knows if there's going to be a podcast after the after the game or uh, we're going to do another morning one on Wednesday. But Marquette, the door is open there for the Golden Eagles and they have a great opportunity. Let's grade this game and then uh, talk a little bit about Kansas Marquette and then we'll, uh, we'll get on our way. As for the A's, I only have one A and that's Oso Iguodara. Oso Iguodara was the reason why Marquette won this basketball game. Uh, he had 14 points, and while you're like, well, he didn't lead scorers, actually, that was David Joplin. Oso was so important to what Marquette did. He dunks all over UCLA, and that sort of started the run. And then he had another poster dunk that gave Marquette the lead and sort of reestablished Marquette as the team in this game, the aggressor versus the aggressee. And... Oso was really solid against Bona. He played really good defense. He only had three fouls in this game. Remember, Oso had struggled sometimes against really talented big men. You think about uh, UCL or uh, UConn last year and Sonogo, and Oso struggled sometimes in those matchups, and he didn't against Bona. He played really good defense against the UCLA bigs, um, only having one block, but 
it was really solid on the defensive side of the basketball for him. But he was the catalyst for Marquette and was the reason why the Golden Eagles won this basketball game. And I, I think the progression of Osoe Gidara is going to get better and better. Uh, I We talked about it in the preview pod earlier this month that I felt like Oso could be a Big East Player of the Year candidate. And I, I think that's very real. I, I think the ascension of Oso is is definitely on on the radar. Uh, my guy, Coach, was saying yesterday that he, he's going to go in the end of the first round. And I think that's right. Like, I, I think Oso is going to get a lot of NBA looks uh, as the year goes on. And Shock Smart has had a pretty good track record uh, with big men. And he's continuing to do it here. Again, weird that Dawson Garcia left. I, I know Dawson Garcia has had a lot of family shit, and I get it. But that's something that always sticks with me because Shaka has done a, an amazing job of big guys. He's doing also with Ben Gold, by the way, who's not doesn't make this grading list, but Ben Gold improvement is like night and day with what we saw last year. Uh, in terms of the Bs, David Joplin, like even though Joplin had some really frustrating shots, uh, he ended up shooting the ball 15 times. He only had 19 points on those 50 shots. He still made five threes. And those five threes, Marquette needed every one of them, especially early on in the game. And I would like Joplin to be a little more conservative with his shot selection. I think that is something that Shaka Smart, Nevada Smith, and the Marquette coaching staff need to work with Jop on, that he is not necessarily the microwave guy as a starter. I, I know that's that's probably a hard thing for Joplin to get out of his head because when Joplin was the sixth man, he'd come off the bench and he's like, they need you know my scoring on the second unit. Marquette doesn't need Joplin scoring as much. I, again, I know what I said and said, okay, yeah, it was important tonight because no, nothing else was falling early on in this game. That is accurate. But Joplin does need to know like when it's a good shot or a bad shot and also when it's in rhythm or off the dribble. Joplin is not there yet from an off the dribble guy. I think that's part of his game that's still lacking a little bit. Uh, he's a great catch and shoot guy, uh, but definitely not a guy who's a creator like you see with Kolick or Cam Jones or even Aguidara for that matter. Uh, I just think Jop needs to keep himself a little bit confined. So I do give it a B. I, I can't knock it to a C. I know the shooting numbers aren't great, but like I said, if Joplin doesn't hit those shots, Marquette doesn't win. And we're talking about a meaningless game today against Chaminade, but we're not. So that that's great. And we need Dave Joplin. Another B to Sean Jones. I know if you look at the box score, Sean Jones will not show up because he had 18 minutes. He only had five points. He missed four threes. Uh, he, did he have a turnover? He had one turnover in this game. But Sean Jones hit the biggest shot of the game. He was wide open, end of the game, and he hit the shot. And it's his second three of the season. And to have the balls to take that shot is absolutely incredible. Uh, he really was able to steady the tide for Marquette down the stretch in the closing minutes with Cam Jones on the bench with four fouls. Sean Jones did enough on both sides of the basketball. And I think you're going to see Sean Jones kind of take over that Joplin role as the sixth man. Chase Ross also will have a argument on that. But I, I do think that Sean Jones was a part of the why Marquette came back in this game. He gave them some great minutes with Tyler Kolick not really having one of his best games. And it's imperative that Sean Jones continues to sort of have this progression this season. And I think you're really starting to see him 
figure it all out, put it together, understand that he's undersized, but he can still do great things, you know, even though he's not one of the tallest guys, you know, on the roster. So good stuff from Sean Jones. I mentioned Chase Ross, another guy that I, I give a B to. Uh, he ended up finishing with six points uh, and four rebounds. I felt like they needed Chase Ross's energy. Uh, and he he provided you know that combination and the Marquette bench in general probably should have got an A. I should have just done that all, all over. That's a learn that that's on me because they were so good. I mean Ross was really solid on both sides of the basketball. He was you know guarding the guys and and creating some problems, but then also getting to the hoop, you know, moving the basketball around, not necessarily stalling with it or forcing shots. And then you had you did have one bad force in the in at the tail end of the second half, but that, that's here nor there. Um, and then you have Ben Gold too, who I, as I said earlier, really played well against these big guys. And the development of Ben Gold has been one of the early headlines of this season. So good stuff from Ross, good stuff from Jones. You know, both guys getting B's, but the Marquette bench in general should have also been an A. Uh, C to the now the non Maui rims. Uh, Maui is known for their soft rims. Uh, the Honolulu rims are not soft. Uh, that that was an adjustment. Uh, nothing really was falling from Marquette. Uh, nothing really fell for anybody. Uh, those rims are tight. Uh, so Marquette's going to have to adjust to that. They're going to have to figure out ways to get better shots to get to understand that the three ball is not their friend here. They have they did a good job, you know, in New York last year, sort of making adjustments to the Madison Square Garden court where. The first game of a tournament was their worst game. That's kind of maybe your North Star for how they could play against Kansas is like, maybe this is St. John's from last year. And then they they go and they kick the, you know, they kick the door down against uh, Kansas and then they have a really great game to finish it off if that's if you go on the Big East trajectory. But those rims stunk. Uh, they just were, it felt like a lid was on there early on. Uh, so Marquette's gonna need to find quick baskets with those really tight rims. Cam Jones is another C. Look, Cam Jones played all right. He actually had an offensive rating of 134, which was the second highest compared to gold. But he only ended up playing 22 minutes because of foul trouble, uh, 12 points. He was kind of forgotten about in the Marquette offense. Again, this is the problem with Joplin shooting so much is Cam Jones did not shoot enough. Um, You got to get Cam Jones well. He also got dunked on by Adam Bona, one of the worst dunk dunk on you'll see in a long time. It was an absolute poster uh, from Bona. Uh, so I, I feel bad for Jones that he needs to make that that as a business decision. But it, we just need more Cam Jones. I, I think it is important and notable that Marquette was able to win this game with Cam Jones not being as part of the closing time. Uh, he fouled out with, I think, four minutes left. So that that is notable. That's important. But I, I would prefer that to not happen. So... I, Jones just needs to play a little bit smarter on the perimeter. I know he's not exactly known for his defense, but he, he just needs to make sure that he's not getting into foul trouble because that that was rough uh, for the junior. Uh, D, Tyler Kolick. Uh, it was a rough day for Tyler Kolick. Uh, it was not one of Tyler Kolick's best. After he was awesome against Illinois, he really struggled in this game. Uh, UCLA and Mick Cronin had a great game plan for Tyler Kolick. They pretty much were doubling him 
at all points and really frustrating him. He still ended up with nine assists. He had five rebounds, uh, but he did have four turnovers. Uh, he missed a couple threes. He had a, a transition three where he should have just taken it to the lane late in the game that ended up going missing. Uh, so the numbers maybe are a little bit better for Kolek, but he just did not seem exactly in the game. And you just wonder, was it, is the ankle injury, you know, still lingering? And maybe the Illinois game, it was all on adrenaline. I did mention uh, after that Illinois game or when sometime in the last week how traveling with you know an injury can affect it, right? And the swelling of, of a long flight. I, I do wonder maybe is that part of it? Uh, definitely something to monitor if with Marquette playing two straight two straight days here on Tuesday and Wednesday. I highly, highly doubt that Tyler Kolick will miss any of that. But you just wonder if it was bothering him. And I don't know if teams are going to be able to adopt the same thing that Cronin did. But it'll be curious to see if Kansas tries something similar against Kolek or if they have a different game plan. But Tyler Kolek has been able to bounce back before. I'm not worried that he's going to go in a slump. I, I think that you can get something in the middle. Again, there were some underlying numbers that would tell you that it wasn't as bad of maybe a game as, as we picture it to be. But if we're using the example of the St. John's you know, game and things like that, or well, I'm trying to think where Cola kind of struggled and you're like, okay, I'm looking for, okay. So there was a Seton Hall game where they won going away, but he only had seven points. Kolek the next day bounced back with 24. Uh, he had a game against Connecticut where he only had six points. He bounced back for 25 and I lost that game against Xavier. But still like it, it does seem when Tyler Kolek does struggle, he's usually, usually bounces back. You usually see, you know, a different version of Tyler Kolek the next game around. Bill Walton also gets a D. I, look, I like Bill Walton. I think it's fun. I think it's good for college basketball. But when he's calling your team's game, it's fucking rough. Uh, it just is. Uh, way too much. Just Bill Walton trying too hard, trying to be funny, trying to be unique. I, I just, it wore on me, uh, especially late in the game. Like, I think one of my new pet peeves is when we're just talking about bullshit in a close game. And we really should be focused on the game itself. And Walton isn't the only one who does this. I think there was like a tribute for Mike Pereira in the Packer Vikings game. And it was close in the fourth quarter. And I'm like, what the fuck are we doing here? Uh, let's just settle down. Uh, another D is to four shots. Marquette was forcing way too much, uh, especially early in this game. Uh, the fact they took 34 threes and only 21 inside the, the arc is not good. Again, with these bad rims, you can't be forcing up that many long shots. Like they had to attack. I think that is something that's imperative against Kansas tonight today is you need to attack the rack and you can't just be settling four three-point shots and passing the ball around like, okay, it's your turn to try to shoot a three. Uh, if it's not falling for you, take it to the fucking rack. Uh, that, that was definitely a frustration uh, from this game. Another app, or now we move on to apps and finish off. Stevie Mitchell, uh, rough, rough game for Stevie. I like Stevie a lot. I think Stevie is a glue guy for Marquette. It was not Stevie's night. Uh, he did not score. He missed four threes. Uh, it was just a tough night for Stevie all around. And I, I think that Stevie needs to know he's not there for his three-point shooting. He's there for his defense. He's there for being a facilitator. Uh, 
I, I really hope that Stevie's able to bounce back here because he's going to be needed, you know, against Kansas's guards. And uh, hopefully that this is just a blip on the radar for him. But yeah, really rough game for Stevie Mitchell. Uh, another F to the refs. The refs were terrible. Um, I'm not going to bitch too much about the refs, but really awful. <laughs> like, they, like Bona clearly got his fourth foul uh, with about like 12 minutes left. And they didn't give it to they didn't give it to Bona. Uh, they gave it to the guard. I think they always Dylan Andrews who got the foul uh, called, which is like it, that was completely ridiculous. Uh, the fact that Bona was kind of able to do whatever he wanted defensively, but Marquette wasn't. Uh, he just it seemed like they were more on the UCLA side, and I have no idea why. I don't know if that's Mick Cronin working the refs. I don't know if that's just sort of the UCLA crowd was riding them. Who knows? But it was uh, it was rough stuff. Uh, from the referees. And then lastly, uh, the free throw shooting. Uh, it has to be better. Uh, you know, we talked about this, about other teams where you start identifying the weak spot of your team and then you're like, okay, well, hope when it gets to the clunch time, it doesn't doesn't come back to bite you. They were 10 of 18 from the free throw line. I think they were nine of 17 against Illinois. You can't miss eight free throws again in a, in a close game like this. And they just got to be better. Uh, Chase Ross missed three. Iguodara missed uh, four. So they, they were pretty much the conduits. But Marquette needs to make more free throws. A, they need to get to the line more. But they also need to make more free throws. Um, that, just, that just can't happen. Uh, I realize Oso is a 50% shooter. We'll take that. But the other guys can't struggle too. Um, and they did. Mitchell missed one. Uh, as well. So yeah, we, we need more from Marquette from the free throw line. And now the sights are set for the Kansas matchup against a very, very talented Jayhawks team. Kevin McCuller has back-to-back triple doubles. The transfer in from Texas Tech. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how Marquette defends him. Uh, that doesn't exactly look like a great matchup for the Golden Eagles as they do not have the size on the wing to compete with McCuller. Uh, Joplin defensively, I, I do not exactly trust in that. Maybe you go Cam Jones on McCuller. Hunter Dickinson inside versus Oso should be a war. We'll have to see how that all all unfolds between Dickerson and Iguodaro. Uh, it, that, that's tough sledding for Oso. Going with Adam Bona and Hunter Dickinson in back-to-back games. That, that is not, not easy. Uh, they have a very talented basketball team. They are number one team for a reason. They, they have a lot of good, talented players, and they attack the glass. And Bill Self is a really, really good coach. Now, Shaka Smart has faced Bill Self. He knows what Bill Self is all about. Shaka has coached against him when at Texas. Now, I, I don't, I, I'm looking and seeing if Shaka beat Bill Smart, Bill Self, Bill Smart. Uh, he did not in 2020, let's see in 2019, if, if he had any success against, no, Texas. He, they did lose. So yeah, I mean, Shaka's beat him before. Uh, he knows, you know, what Bill Self is gonna do. I do think that works to Marquette's advantage. And also you could argue for, Kansas, it works to Bill Self. And Kansas got a little more time to prep. They got to actually, you know, watch and study and not necessarily think about the game that was ahead. So we'll see if Marquette can get it done against Kansas. It's an amazing opportunity. They're three-point underdog. Uh, it's going to be an awesome game tonight, as well as Tennessee-Purdue. Cannot wait. We'll talk about it tomorrow. We'll get you ready for Bucks celtics and also talk about Packers-Lions as well uh, as that, that goes on. So we will be back for all of it. All right. 
Take care, guys. Have yourself a great Tuesday. We'll be back tomorrow. See you. Bye.